Welcome to Fanti, the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I am allegedly awake, journalist and writer Jared Hill. <laughs> Not allegedly, Jesus. We'll see. I am journalist and editor Travel Anderson. Coming up on the show, one of the greatest moments in black cinema. We'll be having that for our Black Histories Happening Every Day segment, as well as why y'all lit Jared's ass up for something he said last week in our listener feedback. Uh-huh. But first, <laughs> we're going to do another edition of Tea Time. This is our opportunity to talk about our mental health journeys, what's going down in the therapies, etc., etc. And Jared, you, you know, shared some information with the people, I believe a week ago, week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Fill, fill inquiring minds in. I actually don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, no. So last week I shared that I began my uh, uh, a stint, hopefully, uh, of antidepressants and what that experience has been like for me. And I am uh, a week into it now. And so I, I just wanted to say, first of all, I... I did this whole post on it last week when I did it uh, initially, and I got an overwhelming amount of feedback, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, For those of you that didn't see the post, I said I just took my first dose of antidepressants, uh, of an antidepressant. I never thought I'd be at this moment in my life, but it's something that I'm doing to hopefully take back a little bit of control over my life. The depression has been at its most difficult and concerning for me in the last month. I went on to talk about making the decision with my doctor and really how when I started my antidepressant, um, it had been sitting here at my house for over a week um, before I even started it. Um, it arrived actually while I was in a therapy session and like uh, my, my medicine gets delivered. And so my therapist, uh, I was on with her and it I got the knock at the door and I, I was like, oh, I think that's it. And she was like, and like, I, I kind of had a moment with it. And she was like, whoa, whoa, what is that? What's happening there? <laughs> I didn't expect to have a feeling about it. But in all honesty, like I left it sitting outside my door for hours. Um, I went out of my apartment and came back in and stepped over it and didn't bring it in before I, caught, before I brought it inside. I was just not ready to bring it into the house. And then eventually I did. And I, it was sat on the dining room table for a while. And then it sat on my desk for a while. Like, And I just, I was not ready to engage it. And so I, you know, Googled side effects and that was, wow, why did I do that? Um, child, you because... can't trust WebMD, child. WebMD Whoa. will get you fucked up thinking you got cancer <laughs> and all you got exactly. is a little bit of cough. If, if ever you've gone to the doctor and told them that I, I Googled what was wrong and then diagnosing myself, <laughs> they will hate you. Um, but I Googled side effects and I was thinking to myself, like, all of the reasons that I'm taking this are listed as potential side effects, which was a huge turnoff to me. Um, but I also knew that um, those side effects I was most concerned about are rare and they happen in younger people and things like that. But I, for more than anything, I knew that me starting was taking a step for myself that was important um, because I know that I've battled with depression for years. Like I, I think my first bout of depression um, was probably when I was 19 and coming out. Um, and I've had like different ups and downs with depression. Uh, and most significantly, again, a couple of years ago when I was writing uh, a book, which seemingly we will be talking about a little bit later. Um, and so I I know that this is something that has been around for a long time. And I said in the post that, you know, while I, uh, while I don't want to do this and I have been feeling better for the, the prior couple of weeks before starting, I also shouldn't have to have like suicidal thoughts and ideation to, mm-hmm. you know, take some medication um, to take this step for myself. And I also said in the post, like, I shared this on the show because, one, I always get feedback from you all that it was helpful to hear about it or to um, for it to be increasingly normalized. But also because I and and I received that in this in this instance as well, heard from many of you that, you know, you had the same experience and that it was helpful to you to getting started on your own, you know, journey, if you will, because you heard that. And that was, you know, as validating as it can be. Finally, about the post, I said that I'm not sharing what I'm taking because one, this isn't an ad. And two, uh, if you're considering medication or some other kind of treatment, you should make that choice 
what you're going to do with your doctor and not some guy on Twitter or in a podcast um, because everybody <laughs> is different and what works for one doesn't work for everybody. Um, and ultimately, I've just been really grateful for the feedback and the response that I've gotten from so many of you, but I've also been completely overwhelmed by it. Um, and that includes like my family and my friends that I, people I haven't talked to since high school. Like I've easily had 300 pieces of outreach from people and it's been a lot. Do you come from like a family that is very much like, we don't do the medicine thing. We don't do the therapy thing. Um, I don't know anyone in my, well, I didn't know anyone in my family that was on antidepressants uh, specifically until after this um, happened. However, I did have a family member reach out to me and say, hey, I've been on antidepressants for a number of years and, you know, it's helped me. And and I, I didn't know that that person was on antidepressants. Um, I've been in therapy also, though, since I was nine. When my parents divorced, my parents, um, the, the judge in my parents' case um, mandated that me and my little brother have therapy. And I was nine and he was uh, two or three, which his therapy was a whole different kind of thing for a little kid, um, for like a, a toddler. So therapy has been something that has always been present in my life, but... Um, child, I wish the judge and my mom and them divorced made me go to therapy, child. Baby, Ooh, let me Lord. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I've the only other experience with any kind of medication that I've had has been when I was diagnosed with ADHD and I took an ADHD medicine that did not agree with me. And so I was only on that for a brief time. And I probably should have tried something else and, you know, done that whole process, but I didn't. So this is something that is new for me. I've always been nervous about things that, uh, are for my brain if it's not for a headache uh, and uh yeah so it's been it's been a challenge it's been a challenge but um i'm really grateful for all the incoming um but again really overwhelmed by all the dms and emails and text messages and comments and tweets and all that kind of stuff it's been a lot my parents are doing the absolute most my parents have called me way more than they've ever called me or texted me and I've kind of just been like not taking all of those calls because I <laughs> I don't think they recognize that like reaching out to me that much actually makes it worse and not better right. um, but I also know that they do it because they care but it's like y'all chill out calm down it's like leave me um, alone well, essentially um, but, but yeah, it's, don't say it's that to your mom and you know it doesn't go over well um, I found <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I'm grateful for it but it's also been a lot. Plus, all of that incoming for, for depression, but then all of the incoming I've gotten from last week's episode, because y'all have been lighting my ass up, as we said earlier. Uh, we'll get into why that is in, in listener feedback. But it's it's been a lot of incoming over the last week. So, that. Well, I'm just glad to hear that you're taking care of yourself. Um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I know you're like, what am I supposed to say to that? Um <laughs> Have you talked to your therapist? Have you set up your appointment? I know you're supposed to be doing that. Uh, I haven't talked to Monique in a month of Sundays, honey. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But I do need I do need to set up something with her. I was waiting because I had a little bit of homework where I was supposed to interview um, my, well, I call it interview, but basically have a conversation with my mom about like um, a, a lack of memory of certain things and certain periods in, in my childhood. And I finally did do that. Um, so it's on my to-do list to like, you know, hit up Momo and be like, hey girl, uh, it's time. Uh, but I just- Wait, so, and I, I mean, I know we had to get going, but since you had that conversation, has any of it started to come back? No. <laughs> you don't, re like you still don't remember? No, I remember like glimmers of, of like settings from some of the stories and some of the things that she shared. But like, I had always remembered those particular settings. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, it does, it didn't jog anything, but it definitely was um, um, a revelation per se, yeah. um, in terms of just, you know, some things. And, you know, I had never asked my mom about like, you know, if she ever sensed any, you know, queerness or any, you know, gender, you know, deviancy um, in, you know, when I was younger. And so it was interesting to hear um, her responses and apparently conversations that she was having with, you know, other people in the family about me and stuff like that. So that, that was always interesting, but yes, you know, maybe by next week I will have set up an appointment with, uh, with Monique, uh, and she can help me unpack. Um, but okay, before we get into our fan tie this week, we've got a quick Dionne Warwick update. 
<laughs> yes. Um, I There's two things that I want to update here. Number one is actually been since the beginning of Dionne Warwick on Twitter. And I, I just love that her Twitter bio says, I am not writing a bio. It's like, sis, you know what? And you don't have to. If the girls, they don't, if they don't know, they don't know. I also love how you keep forgetting that you mentioned that every time we do a Dionne Warwick update. No, I haven't. Have I really? <laughs> yes. I. It's my favorite thing. Like, whenever I see her, it's like, I am not writing a bio. Like, bitches, y'all will have to deal. Um, okay, so my, my favorite tweet from her recently was on Monday. She says... I am happy to say that none of my new Twitter friends have quote foolishness yet. Thank you. And a crying <laughs> laughing emoji. I don't know if she knew that she was creating a word that we didn't know twote. we needed. But quote <laughs> just took me out. I was like, Dion, you are the North Star. Like, I live for you. Not and, the and North that was Star. We, we all look to you for guidance. Um, so shout out to Dion Warwick. We appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a special fan tie. We are digging into Travel's perspective on dealing with their family, which should be interesting. Fan tie's coming right back. <laughs> I'm Judge John Hodgman. And I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Ten years ago, I came on Jordan Jesse Go and judged my first dispute. Is chili a soup? It's a stew, obviously. The judge has dispensed a decade of justice. He's the one person wise enough to answer the really important questions. Like, should you hire a mime to perform at your own funeral? After they cry, I want them to laugh. Do you really need a tank full of jellyfish in your den? They smell like living creatures decaying. <laughs> Only if they are decaying. Yeah, which they will be. Real people, real justice, real comedy winner of the Webby Award for Best Comedy Podcast. The Judge John Hodgman Podcast, every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. Hey, it's Jesse. What you're about to hear is real. Hey, this is Chris. Hi, Chris. It's Jesse calling for Maximum Fun. Hey, Jesse. I heard that you got into a car accident. Yeah, I was listening to Stop Podcasting Yourself, and I just laughed so hard that I uh, slammed into a construction barrier. Do <laughs> uh... you remember what it was that was so funny? I will never forget, I'm sure. They started talking about Vegas and the, you know, if it happens here, it stays here, and that slogan. And then Graham was talking about, oh, you know, wasn't there some other slogan for another commercial? I was like a... Commercial for food, and it said, like, whatever's in there stays in there. I can't remember what it was, clams or something. (laughs) 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 Clams? Just so ridiculous. And, man, I got lightheaded. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) Next thing I know, (laughs) smash. They are are just brilliantly funny. So I talked to Dave and Graham from Stop Podcasting Yourself. We would like to pay your car repair bill. Is that okay? That, I mean, that would be super nice, Jesse. I really uh, thank you. I appreciate that. All righty, beautiful people. This episode's fanti grows out of a conversation I literally was having with Bianca yesterday or Sunday or whatever day it is today um, or the day before today. Bianca's one of my besties. Um, she uh, is a member of the Fanti fam. We've read out some of her feedback, you know, before on the show. She was one of the call-in voices um, from the uh, anniversary show. She's fabulous, amazing, Brooklyn-born, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay, so we were having a conversation about all of the responsibilities we sometimes, like, as individuals, like, feel toward our family members, often simply because we are our blood, not because, you know, anything beyond that, right? Um, whether we're first-generation college students or immigrants or the oldest sibling, right, what have you, many of us feel a burden of sorts sometimes when it comes to, you know, handling some family business, okay? So whether Whether that is paying somebody's bills, putting some coins on somebody's books, overseeing your parents' health care when they get to that age, Um, even though, you know, we may be making some decisions ultimately, right? Maybe we could be making other 
decisions. Some might say better decisions. Um, but does choosing them, choosing our family mean we can't also choose ourselves? Does choosing ourselves mean we can't choose them? I wanted to tease this out because the convo with Bianca and I was very much fanti, very much complex and complicado <laughs> um, as we kind of deciphered what, what is and what isn't our duty to the people who helped raise us and, and others in our, in our family. Um, and so for this conversation, as you already mentioned, we're going to do a little different structure uh, because uh, I think the way I was talking about this in our production meeting, Jared was like, mm, not my experience, sis. Um, <laughs> and so the majority of this is going to be like about me, I guess, and my vantage point, what I'm thinking, and Jared is going to like, you know, ask questions, offer some of his own thoughts, etc., etc., etc. And so I guess I kind of want to first start by giving a little bit of biographical details for the people about what I'm dealing with over here in this jiggy jungle, okay? Um, so I am a first-ish generation college student. By that, I mean, I... So my mother started college um, earlier in her life and never finished. Mm -hmm. And then I went to school and she went back to school online shortly thereafter. And she ended up finishing and technically graduating with her first degree like a year or so before I graduated with my first degree. And so, okay. you know, it's first-ish generation. Right. Uh, um, and then, so I have, I technically have four siblings. Or no, that's a lie. I technically have three siblings. Um, an older brother, an older sister, um, and a younger sister. Um, and I am, I think... I think it's safe to say I'm probably the most uh, financially stable of the family. Um, okay. Shout out to being where the money reside, where the money reside, where the money reside. I hate you so much. <laughs> um, and I think like many of the folks our generation, right, I am making more money than my mother could have ever thought about making, right? And that's mm -hmm. no shade. That's just... It's just, it is what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, this is what she wanted, right? She she did her various sacrifices so that I could go be where the money reside, et cetera. Um, and for me, ultimately, my mom and my sister, I will fight a bear underwater for them motherfuckers, even though they get on my fucking nerves um, and all of that. Um, fight a bear underwater. Okay. You've never heard that? No. So I, I got that from a song that... Uh, uh, Hodrick Tall uh, wrote for oh, one of his uh, uh, his Wizard of Oz album. Um, okay. And it's such a good song uh, sung by the one and only uh, uh, Riley. She goes by Riley now. Oh, um, yes. Okay. Uh, so, yes, it's a great song. Anyway, that's my family kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 data set, if you will. I was trying to figure out the mm -hmm. word that they used in Indian Matchmaker uh, when, you know, the people would come up with what they want. I mean, it's still wrong. I didn't end up. I didn't end up watching that show yet. It's still on my queue. Oh my god, you need to. You have a very long queue, sir. I do. Anyway, I really do. So that's my family situation, right? And like mm -hmm. I said, I feel complete obligation to when my sister texts me and she needs a couple coins for whatever reason, I'm sending it. Period. Mm -hmm. If my mother reaches out to me and she needs something, I'm sending it. Period. But there are so many ways in which you know, that can and has in the past at least caused my own financial ruin. You know, robbing mm. Peter to pay Paul type of thing, okay? Right. Um, and I feel like I'm saying all of the Southern, all of the Southern, you know, colloquialisms and phrases. Well, I, robbing Peter to pay Paul, I think is, is okay. I think that one is more ubiquitous. Oh, okay. Anyway, so like that, that's my family situation. That's a little bit of like what's inspiring this conversation. Jared, you know, I know you didn't, the the, funk, the the structure for this episode is going to be a little different, but like, can you give us, if you're comfortable, a little little biographical detail about your family situation? Yeah, I was going to say, because I have a completely different family um, uh, situation, and maybe we'll do a show on, on blended families later, but I have a very blended family. Um, I always say I have three moms and two dads, which is a whole lot of parents. Um, I have <laughs> my mother and my father biologically, and both of them, they divorced when I was nine. They both remarried, um, and my father uh, got a, a second divorce and remarried again. So I have a mom, a dad, 
a stepmom and a stepdad and an ex-stepmom, all of whom are people that I consider to be my parents. Um, and so I, I, with that also, both of my step-parents came with their own children. Um, Ooh, both Jesus. came with two kids. Exactly. Both came with their own two kids. I'm sitting here trying also, to do the Venn diagram, child, and I'm just confused. It's a You have to do the family tree thing, right? So, like, both step-parents have two kids, and my parents together have myself and my brother. So I have one biological brother, and I have uh, two stepsisters and two stepbrothers, but wow. they're spread out on each side. Um, and so, essentially, I have five siblings, five parents, and a lot of anxiety. Um, and so I, I, I've always like joked, but not joked with my parents. Like, listen, y'all ain't coming to live with me unless I, unless I have, you know, a, a situation where I have a guest house and you can stay out there. Sis, I don't know. Cause I don't want to come downstairs and be, you know, letting some trade out the front door and my I mom's can't. having breakfast in the kitchen. I just can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. Well, um, we're, we're gonna no, hope that being... you're you you maybe maybe you don't have to go the trade route maybe there is a long-term you know loving partner that you have who you live with in, no in no no i could still have a partner bliss. and still be and still be letting young Listen, man out to you his, his if you want to get it in like Look, that you get it in like that honey i we'll we'll have a conversation about relationship structures on another show but anyway um that's a whole other vh1 behind the podcast but like i <laughs> I, I I can't imagine living with my parents again. I just, mm-hmm. you know, from my lips to God's ears, hopefully that will never happen again. But, like, my parents might have to come stay with me or one of my siblings at some time. But, like, I want to make sure that they have their own roof and front door. Yes. Yeah. Well, so this, Amen. This is not in a lock. Um, but this, is, <laughs> this gets me to, I think, uh, one of the first points that I want to make, which is that, you know, I feel... I want to start this conversation by saying that I think all of us, as we're having these types of conversations about, like, what is our duty to to the people who helped raise us, right? I think there is a bare level, like, love and respect for Absolutely. everything that they've done, right? To to br- not only just to bring us into this world, uh, and I should say, this is if you have a positive relationship with your with your people. We're talking about our experiences, <laughs> not yours, sis. <laughs> that part, okay? And so, like, I love my mother with my entire being. I love my sister with my entire being being i love my brother too just not with the entire being okay he get on my nerves sometimes you know so it's just like a shoulder to your elbow kind of yeah, space exactly like... very that you very just a <laughs> limb you know <laughs> anyway and so like i feel i feel you know uh what's the word like i feel, I, I don't want to say I, the word that's in my head is like proud um but i'm definitely super happy that i am able to provide for my mom in particular uh for whatever she needs right Mm -hmm. um like that is something that that is one of the reasons when i was a kid right and i used to see all the sacrifices that she would make being in that white man's army for 23 years dealing with all they bullshit right that was one of the reasons why i said oh i need to apply myself right i need to be able to you know uh 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 build up my life in a way so that I can pay her back, right? For all mm-hmm. of the sacrifices and all the love and, and investment she she did into my life. And so I want to start by saying all of that, right? Because, um, you know, right. sometimes we have these types of conversations and the motherfuckers, you know, they listen to the podcast and they be like, oh, you don't love your mama? What is going on? Well, as, as soon as you say but, they forget anything that you said before it. So Very there that. is that. And so I'm so going to say. So sure you give it. So say and also. That's exactly what's going <laughs> And also, you get on my goddamn no. <laughs> and so, like that is that is where I'm coming from as I'm having this conversation. At the same time, in mm. my experience, I have had to provide for members of my family um, in ways that make it difficult for me, right, to sustain myself, right, in the Ooh. life, in the way, what they say, in the ways to which I've become accustomed, okay? Oh, come on, you're giving yourself alimony, amen. <laughs> well, somebody got to how you do it, okay? Well, I hate um, you. And so, like, I just think about, ultimately, the financial toll, right, that 
that responsibility, whether whether that responsibility is something that that we force upon ourselves or it's an actual, very real um, obligation, that financial toll. Um, and I, I want to read here a note from our producer, Jordan. Um, you know, she connected this to right the, the actual wealth gap situation right mm. um in terms of she pulled this uh this statistic as of 2016 um the most recent year for which data is available we you would have to combine the net worth of 11.5 black households to get the net worth of a typical white u.s household right and i think about the ways in which all of these conversations we have about like building generational wealth and you know supporting the community and and all of that extra stuff it it makes me just think about like the the hill that is in front of us when i can't even keep my money in the bank account you know because of whatever obligations or whatever support that I need to give to whomever is is needed in my family. Does does that idea or that concept resonate with you in any particular way? Because you have, you know, all of these siblings, right? And all these other people um, who presumably, I'm making an assumption here, um, are, are stable, quote unquote, in their own ways in terms of like supporting, you know, the other members of the family. Do you feel like there is an undue particular burden on you to handle shit? Whether it's, you know, making sure that mama takes the medication or making sure daddy gets his pension or, you know, things like that. No, I've not had that experience in my family. Um, We, because my family is so blended and so spread out, like, uh, most of us don't live in the same states um and because my parents remarried with the step siblings that i have now when i was an adult um i think mm. that has kind of differently uh, so you're the oldest out of everyone to... no so like when my dad remarried my stepmom came with two children that are older than me okay and so but i was in college already when they got married so gotcha. like we it's not like we grew up together in the same house and when my mom remarried um, my stepdad's two children, they came into the family when I was in 11th or 12th grade, but we never lived in the same house either. So I've only ever lived with my little brother. Um, and so I think that kind of orients children to each other in a different kind of way mm-hmm. as opposed to when you're an adult. Um, but as far as like taking care of family members, we've been pretty fortunate that like my family, my parents have always um they're, they've been married and in their own situations where they haven't really needed um, our support. I mean, if anything, we've needed them sometimes um, and and that kind of thing. So I haven't had that experience yet. Have you have you had because I, I think part of this, I'm also thinking of like um, as an example, when my grandmother died um, in 2016, my mom and my little sister were overseas in Germany and I had the power of attorney, obviously. Um, uh, oh, I don't think I've said this yet. Uh, my brother is incarcerated. I don't know if I made that clear yet. My older brother. Uh, You did mention putting money on books. And I know somebody was like, what does that mean? Like for college? It's like, no, sis, that's not Not a book tuition. Um, Listen. Um, and so I, I had the power of attorney, have the power of attorney. And it, it took my mom like three days or whatever to get approval, right? From the military to leave, um, to come back to the U.S. or whatever. So, like, I had to drop everything. Um, I was mm-hmm. working at the L.A. Times at the time. I literally got the call that she had died and was on a plane two hours later, right? Wow. Um, because I because I had the power of attorney for my grandmother, for my mom, um, I had to handle, you know, the immediate details as it relates to, you know, dealing with the bodies, um, with the body. Um, and even though, right all of my mom's siblings are alive. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like there was a, there was a responsive, an immediate responsibility that I had to, you know, shoulder in that particular moment. And I think about when my mom gets to, you know, that quote unquote age where, uh, you know, she might need a little extra type of support. Um, if she's going to live with anyone, it's likely going to be me. Mm-hmm. My sis, my little sister, I also haven't said this. My little sister is 18, 19. She's still in that, that, 
you know that uh i wish the people could she's, see my hands because then they would know yeah she's in that she's in the in-between age where she's, she's in not, that, that yeah, phase she's not a child where, but she's not grown yes. grown yeah she's yes. in that phase where she's still figuring it out you know she's still right. making some mistakes um and and uh charting out her path i'll put it that way as so she's like, supposed to at that age sure yes 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 yeah um I, yes that is all that's all a, a big yes um, and so if something were to happen to my mom, say in the next two, three, four, five years, I likely, right, have to be the one to quote unquote step up. Right. Mm-hmm. And so is that does that mean she moves in with me? Does that mean I find the money to put her in a home? Does that mean I find the money to get her living living support? Um, I feel like like have you thought about that yet with your parents? Yeah, I mean, I think about that all the time, especially because my parents are late 50s, um, and I think my dad is about to turn 60. And so, I mean, they're not, like, elderly, right? But they're getting older, mm-hmm. and I I definitely think to myself, like, okay, so what happens when, you know, someone is ill or someone can't, can't handle themselves or whatever? Like, how are we going to handle that? And I, I don't know what the answer is to that yet. I'm, I'm definitely thinking about it because my my sibling structure is so different than you know most families uh it's definitely something that i i think about not all the time but it it definitely comes up whenever i get a call from a parent that they're not feeling well or like they have covid my parents my dad and my stepmom got covid over thanksgiving and so it was like oh my god what happens if something happens baby listen i done told my mom she's in south carolina you know and they don't know that there's a pandemic going on okay uh, you listen, listen. Most of the South doesn't. They doing what the hell the hell else they want to do there. Uh, my mother knows, I should say, to be specific, but the rest of the motherfuckers, like she's she's been going to work the entire last year. Yeah, six days yeah. a week. Okay, right. Um, and and thankfully she hasn't, you know, contracted anything. But I definitely told her straight up because she got a whole bunch of pre existing conditions. Sis, if you get this Rona, you ain't gonna survive, sis. That's just Yikes. what the that's just what the numbers say, okay? So the data says <laughs> that's what the data. No shade, it's just data, honey. Okay, no shade, just data. But it does make me think of even like I have another friend who's actually younger than me. Um, he's in his early twenties, and you know his mom was good, you know, from the outside looking in, and then all of a sudden she got super sick, and now he yeah. is, uh, you know, having to navigate what that support looks like for her in the middle of you know a panic act disco okay uh in the words of i borrowed that from a kid fury i listened to i was gonna say i think fury said that too Um, yeah you know trying to just diversify and expand you know the the vocabularies with p words (laughs) anyway and so but at the same time as i talk about all of this i also think about the the folks and the ones of us who you know have some sort of uh trauma right as it relates to our parents um and i mean i think i think i think most kids of parents i mean i guess if you're a kid you are of a parent but i think most 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 children have some sort of trauma whether it's like small trauma that's like negligible or larger traumas and then the ways in which the obligations that we we've been talking about kind of uh, how those traumas rear their heads as you're thinking about those obligations. Um, Absolutely. It's, it just makes me, you know, I don't know. And I don't even know if I'm making any sense. I really hope that when y'all listen to this episode, y'all don't be like, Travella, man, no fucking sense this entire time. No, I think, I think it is making sense because I, I feel like I don't know of scenarios that get much more complex and complicado than when it's with family. Right. And I think that, um, you were one of the things that you were talking about though was about having to to give money or or financial support in in whatever way that that looks. I would say that you generally are are talking about having to set up boundaries, right? Because like uh, Iyanla might say, like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Yes. Like if you yes, are beloved. giving, listen, if you if you are giving in a way that you don't have, you're you're not helping anybody because you can't help yourself if you can't you can't help someone else if you can't help yourself and so i think that that's a conversation about boundaries that you have to be able to set and say look i can't do it this time and and that in that and and i'm i'm in that process hell i've been in that process for the last you know decade um you know setting boundaries (laughs) and then you know those boundaries are great and then you realize even that boundary is not strict enough 
right? And then sure. you have to, to reestablish um, a boundary. But I also have to say it does feel bad or at least questionable to have to put my mother on a boundary, right? I mean, you know. Okay, but it also feels bad to be broke. <laughs> and it also feels bad to like, to to be without because you've given it all away. It also feels bad to, to you know, be upset with them when they didn't give it back to you. It also feels bad. You know what I mean? Like, well, shit is going to feel bad. Well, now you know I, I will mean? say, I will share with the people something that my grandmother, Dorothy Montgomery Holmes, always said. You know, she I'm said, guessing it's when you give it away, you give it away. Well, she said, a gimme is a gimme and a loan me is a loan me. Oh, hello. Okay, so she's like, w- words matter and they are important. That's- so is this That's a gimme or is this a loan me? Okay. I, <laughs> I you know, sometimes that. people be like, can you loan me? And they have no intention of giving you your shit back. Listen. Yeah. No. You know? And I mean, but like all of those things don't feel good. Right. And so like, I think it's better to like be able to set the boundary and say, this is what I can do, or this is what's okay with me or for me or whatever. Um, and let it be uncomfortable. That's okay. Right. Like so your, your job is not to make everybody feel good. Right. Your job is not. And I mean, your therapist will tell you this when you go back to Momo. (laughs) But like your job is not to to, to provide for everybody. Your job is to provide for yourself. And if you can help someone else or you can provide, you know, whatever kind of support, whether it's financial or residential or emotional or whatever it is, you can only do so much. And I mean, and we see that in times where it's not money. Right. Like if a friend calls you and needs your time, but you can't give it to them right? Like, oh, I'm working or, you know, I'm busy or I'm in my own shit right now and I can't do that. It's the same thing. Um, I have to be able to, to, to let you know that I'm not available in that way or my money is not available or my home is not available and I think or my par- car is not available or whatever it is. Not my car, Jesus. Uh, but I think, and I think you're right, right? That like part of this, this work, right? That we have to do is about, um, I think not, not seeing the that these restrictions or these these uh, what you call them? these boundaries that we put yeah. up with whether it's super specific as it relates to your family or whether it's your your chosen family right your for your friends how those boundaries should be seen as a negative shouldn't be seen as something that will automatically right be. Uh, an issue either from my vantage point or you know uh, the other person's vantage point I I would push back on that and say like if, if someone sees your boundary as negative that's about control right I mean mind you I grew up on Jesus and Oprah so <laughs> I know I've learned <laughs> so that, you know like, all about control t- huh Okay, that's not what I was saying <laughs> I was I was talking about boundaries but like when you when you tell someone no and they continue to go forward, that person's trying to control you, right? Like, when you say, no, you can't come over to my house, and they say, well, I'm on my way. They're trying to control you. Or if they Mm -hmm. say, you know, I want X, and you tell them no, whether you give them a reason or not, they're trying to control you or your money or your time or your space or your whatever. And so, like, when you give someone a boundary, hey, X is not okay for me for whatever reason, if you provide a reason, because that's the other part, right? You don't owe someone explanation for why you can't give them your money or your time or whatever. But, like, when you give someone a boundary and you tell them what you can or cannot do, if they can't accept that, that's their problem. That's their issue, not yours. No matter what it feels like to you or to them. Yes. And I was going to say yes. And it likely doesn't feel good. I know like, for me, it often doesn't, doesn't feel good. And it often but let doesn't. Me have you con- let me have you consider the, uh, the alternative though. Right. So you have a thousand dollars in your bank account and cousin comes over and you, and it's time to pay rent in eight days. Not cousin. Your Pookie. cousin comes. Listen, cousin Pookie comes over and is like, yo, I need $950 because I got to do X, Y, and Z. And you tell them no. That doesn't feel good, right? But eight days later, when your rent comes and you don't have that money, that doesn't feel good either. So, like, which doesn't feel good is going to serve you the best? Well, and see, I'm, the last thing I'll say on this, because I, I do, at least in my specific case, I do have a, a wrinkle in in that example, which is, so I've never been the one to give of my time or my energy or my money um and not be able to um i'll say handle myself sure um and 
Mm, yeah. What, what are you not saying right there? Well, I'm not. What I'm saying. What I'm not saying, or what I'm. What I'm trying to say is that I my bills are going to be paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you have quote unquote extra money, right? Um, like when I don't you know have what extra. I, Sinbad has this whole stand up. Wow, I just dated myself. Sinbad, ain't none of my money extra. Okay, like because that money is supposed to be doing something. It's it's either being invested, it's being saved, it's being you know put away for X. Right, like no matter how much money you have, it's yours and not somebody else's. T. Period. True T. I believe that, but not but. And I also believe <laughs> that you know. I am I I am privileged enough to have a disposable income, right? Mm-hmm. I can put money to, to I can save money for my taxes, save money for my savings account, pay all of the bills, and still have a few dollars left over that I can to do whatever with. Right, right. You know, yes. Go give me some hate <laughs> chicken. Um, and I think it's that pile of money, not pile child. I think it's that you know couple dollars of money that to me is. I, I often grapple with. I'll, I'll say that. Now, do be clear, because I'm not necessarily asking for nobody's advice. Don't be emailing us. Don't be tweeting me. Oh, you're going to get it. Um, Because guess what? The, the money, when I tell y'all I'm where the money reside, I mean it. <laughs> oh, go off. <laughs> Listen. Okay, I hope y'all know that I'm joking, okay? Um, <laughs> but I'm comfortable. And so I do always feel, you know, obligated um, and the desire to maybe it's not even just an obligation, but the desire to you know help out where where I can where I can help out. Um, but I think you're right. Ultimately, right? It's about it's about having boundaries. It's about making sure that I am not right overextending myself um, and realizing that like you, it 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 it. I think what you said was interesting about the ways in which like when people when you set a boundary and somebody crosses that boundary particularly intentionally right that that is that is a violation right that is them trying to control you that is you know something else okay i'm gonna stop rambling let's go to break no i think that realistically you you have to have uh you have to decide for yourself what's okay and what's not and like whether or not people are okay with that doesn't have anything to do with you Right. Like if you want X of me and I can't do it or I choose not to do it. Right. Because can't I can't do it means like, oh, I don't have the money or I don't have the time or whatever. But like that does not work for me has always been a great response. Again, I grew up on Jesus and Oprah and that was from Oprah. But like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want you to come to my ex or I want you to do X for me. That doesn't work for me is enough of a no. Right. Mm-hmm. To be able to. To keep it pushing, like, oh, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Or you don't have to say, oh, I can't be there because X, Y, Z happens and I have to be at such and such. That doesn't work for me. You know, you know, you know better than anybody. I love to tell, oh, honey, the Lord hasn't spoken to me about that. Yes, we know. Which is my way out of anything, right? Like, who's going to argue? And I I hope the listeners realize that, like, I've been working through this as we've been having the conversation. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, like, I also still feel that, like, it is different for me setting the boundaries with friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and colleagues and peers and all that extra shit. And, you know, I can set boundaries and have set boundaries, to be clear, with, like, particularly my mom and my sister. Um, But even with the boundary, I'd be like... You know, you know, okay, last thing, you know, when, <laughs> you know, when you, um, when you tell yourself that like, you're going, you're going to start, you know, watching what you eat, right? You're not going to overeat, right? And you go to the buffet, you know, you go to Shoney's or something, you know, or Ryan's and or something. And then you fuck it up. You know, and you'd be like, okay, I'm only going to get two plates, you know, and then you get your two plates and then you'd be like, ooh, them rolls over there look good. So you grab yourself a roll and then you'd be like, ooh, they just put out fresh pizza. Let me go get me some pizza. You go get a little pizza. It's one of those situations. Ooh, bitch, is that cheesecake? Listen. <laughs> and you just keep going and nibbling just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. I feel like that's how I feel when it comes to some, some boundaries that I have with my family and i do realize that like ultimately that's not that's not a boundary sis you know (laughs) like that's not that's not um moving right you in in the quote-unquote right direction or a better more safe you know more secure direction or whatever but okay throw the break go Hmm. how do you feel i feel fine yeah monique is gonna be getting a call (laughs) i can feel it 
we uh, want to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into why y'all hate us. But as we go to break, we want to know what are the boundaries that you have to place on your family and how have you dealt with that? You can tweet or post using hashtag FantiFam. We'll be jumping in and responding to your posts on Twitter and Instagram uh, from our account at FantiPodcast. Fanti's coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Mm. Are you looking for some sexy stories? Jesus. Looking to wind down. <laughs> I'm not even going to do that. <laughs> Just because you're grown up doesn't mean you've outgrown bedtime stories. Whether you want a story to turn you on or to wind you down for better sleep, Dipsy helps you get in touch with yourself for some extra sweet dreams. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. Dipsy also has wellness sessions to help you learn more about yourself, and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. And for listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering 30 days of a free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash fanti. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P sea stories.com slash fanti dipsy stories.com slash fanti puedes repetir now in case you don't know how to speak spanish i obviously apparently you don't either (laughs) that means can you repeat that or in my own personal language it means what you say um, and <laughs> that is one of the things that Babbel popped up to me, okay, as I was scrolling through the app. Babbel is the number one selling language learning app dedicated to making learning a new language fun and easy with 15-minute bite-sized lessons that you'll actually use in the real world, okay? Other language learning apps, they use AI for their lessons plan, lesson plans, but Babbel lessons are created by over 100 actual real human live beings and language experts, okay? That means with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, as I have, French, Italian, and German, plus Babbel speech recognition technology. They say it helps you improve your pronunciation and accent, and so... What it means is that theoretically, as I continue with the babble, I will stop butchering, you know, the Spanish language. That is the plan and that is the goal. Now, now don't put all that responsibility on Babbel because, baby, that's a lot. (laughs) Well, right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months total for the price of treat, okay? Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code FANTI. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code FANTI, for an extra three months free. Babbel, language for life. You heard? Okay, beautiful people, welcome back. We're going to get into our listener feedback section. Your opportunity to tell Jared how foolish he is in particular. Oh, wow. Um, So last week, we got, uh, uh, I say over the last week, we got a lot of emails, some tweets about a comment, a throwaway comment, I say, that that Jared made uh, as we were discussing um, Tessica Brown, a.k.a. Gorilla Glue Girl, um, who I am happy to report has undergone the surgical um, and has, uh, you know, freed her, her hair follicles from the confines of Gorilla Glue. Um, and I, I read in a report today that she actually is not suing um, Gorilla Glue and the money that she raised via a GoFundMe that she was going to use for surgery, um, but her surgery was done for free by uh, Beverly Hills uh, uh, surgeon. Um, she's taken that money and donated it to a... Um, uh, oh Lord, I forget the name of the organization, but it's an organization that does you know work around these types of of like medical issues or something like that. I don't know. She did. She the point is she donated. She's the donated money. the money. That's the point. Okay. okay? Uh, don't give me the line about what she did with it. Now. Anyway, so we have this email here from Jessica addressed to Jared and says, you know, in in part, I was listening to the new episode and wanted to write in. Apologize if you've already gotten 15 million emails and tweets about this, which we did when you were doing. Doing your past the popcorn segment about Gorilla Glue Lady, Jared made a throwaway comment about people suing um, McDonald's over coffee being 
hot. And while I won't argue that as a culture, we're pretty litigious here in the US, this case actually has a much deeper and more nuanced history. She goes on, as a variety of other people did, to tell us about um, how the belief that the woman who sued uh, McDonald's, uh, how it being kind of a frivolous lawsuit is actually part of a smear campaign that McDonald's, um, you know, put together against this um, elderly woman. I think she was like almost 80 years old. The coffee actually was too hot. It was, some, I think, 200-ish mm -hmm. degrees when it was supposed to be... 250 degrees, I believe. Right, and it was supposed to be uh, like 100 degrees lower and, you know, all of that. And so there are a lot of people who want to tell you that you were wrong and that you need to issue correction and clarify what you mean and all of that. So this is your chance. Go. Fuck y'all. <laughs> What's the next letter say? Wow! No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so... First things first, Tessica Brown is giving her money to a nonprofit that works on reconstructive surgery. I just did a quick reconstructive Google while you were reading the letter. Reconstructive surgery, yes, that's the um, word. So I, I just got this wrong. Like quite frankly, I mean, I do think the there was way too much feedback on it. Like, okay, girl, we get it. Um, but I, I didn't know about this case, and I didn't know that there was a film. There's a documentary called Hot Coffee that came out, and uh, I think it was 2011 that talks about this McDonald's case. Um, and I did not know this was such a big deal. And I started watching it today. I haven't finished it, but I got through you know the major portion about McDonald's. But um, they show the injuries, and I was like, holy shit, this this was a, a significant situation. Um, again, I believe the the numbers. I believe it was 250 degrees that the coffee was normally at. Um, I know when I worked at Starbucks uh, as a barista, one of the many things I've done in my life, um, the hottest that we would do coffee, I think, was to 180 degrees. Um, but like it was, it there is a, a limit, right? Because and that was for extra hot. I want to say, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I did not know about this case being such a, a, a significant deal. I was very annoyed with all the emails and text messages and tweets and all that. Um, but I do appreciate that you guys, uh, you know, let us know about that. Let me know about that because I didn't, I didn't know. And so, I will you. just say, you know, there's a way to hold people accountable. And I know we yes, Mary. <laughs> and, and on this show specifically, I'm not talking about, you know, in the world, Bill Cosby or R. Kelly or whoever, cuss them motherfuckers out if you wish. I don't care. They're not us. Right. I think, you know, the, the, we try to cultivate this space, right, of accountability, both for the people we're talking about as well as for ourselves. But like a few of y'all who emailed in. A little strong. You were a little hot, honey. And if I, where, if I knew where to pull up, I might pull up. I'm, I, and I think that some people, not Jessica, who sent us that email. That was actually the first email that we got. The first email. Um, and it was, I would say, the second best that we got. Because we got an email from a friend, uh, a, a real life friend of ours right before we got on the show. I don't know if you read it. Um, but anyway... So yes, second email, second listener feedback this week comes from, um, she signed her letter, a Spelman graduate. And this is a letter in response to Anne's letter from, I believe, last week, which is in response to Oh, with to all them strong-ass adjectives? Yes. With, yes, with yes, very okay. strong adjectives. And, <laughs> you know, and for those who don't remember, was remarking about some of the the buildings that she had witnessed on Spelman College's campus. Um, not I think matching. she was saying HBCU campuses. I don't think she was talking specifically no, about no, Spelman. No, no, she talked she? specifically about Spelman because she had a, sp okay. a specific experience. But we generalized our responses to, gotcha. you know, our own experiences and that we could speak to. So a Spelman graduate is responding. Um, I won't read the whole thing because, you know, we could tell that this graduate was a little hot. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I will say, I think what she mentioned is that she talks about, you know, context about those particular buildings that Anne was speaking about the John D. Rockefeller Fine Arts Building, um, which was originally opened in 1964 and houses Spellman's Departments of Art, Dance, Drama, and Music, as well as the auditorium in inside the Camille Olivia Hanks Cosby Academic Center, which opened in 96, not the 80s, as Anne mentioned. Um, and, you know, as was implied by both of us, these buildings hold different but significant historical value to the story of Spelman College and Black history more broadly. She goes down to talk about their historic performances and activity that has happened in Question. these buildings. Question, because uh, I know the Cosbys have given a lot of money to the AUC. Was this building always Camille or was it Bill and Camille and they took Bill off of it? This was always Camille. Okay. Uh, this is always Camille, uh, named after Camille, I believe. 
Don't get me the lion, but I'm fairly sure. I, I just remember the I remember the Cosby name being on buildings, but I couldn't remember if Bill's name was on some stuff and they took it off or if they've, I don't know how they've dealt with I'm that. I'm fairly so. sure this has always been um, just Camille's name in particular. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm saying all this to say that Anne was not wrong for having made the original observations to herself. She is, however, wrong for writing into Fantai in response to an episode about HBCUs during Black History Month to lament <laughs> about the appearance of these buildings she saw six years ago. Lord, the audacity. I listened to the letter multiple times before writing this email and I am still left asking, girl, why? Where did all these expectations come from? No one would ever have written in using aggressive language to describe the buildings at Yale and Harvard, which are among the oldest institutions in the country. It's for this reason I'm not even going to walk down all of the renovations that have happened on campus since these buildings were erected and could have Googled that herself rather than asking y'all. Spellman, like every college in the country, has used its resources and service to her staff and students as she saw fit. While yes, HBCUs tend to have much smaller endowments and less unrestricted gifts than predominantly white institutions, this smart fiscal management is in no way unique to HBCUs. Spellman may not have been as shiny and as modern as Anne obviously expected, but the education being taught there is what matters most. It is why Spellman has stood on that land since the 1880s. In addition to inviting Anne to donate some coins, as Travell said, I'd also like to request that Anne respectfully mind her business. Oh. Well. She said respectfully. And now it's time for our dishonorable <laughs> mentions. I mean. No, I just want to say. I, I, I don't think I she's wrong. Absolutely read that is because I do think that that is something that we didn't mention um, in response to, to Anne's question, right? The ways in which resources are just funneled elsewhere um for for specific yeah. reasons right as opposed to you know kind of cursory or um cosmetic you know changes to, to buildings on campus and that was something we neglected to mention all right let's move well, on well i no, i i oh. i do think the most important part of that there is is uh spellman graduate rights while yes hbcus do tend to have much smaller endowments and less unrestricted gifts than predominantly white institutions um i that is one of the major issues for a lot of HBCUs is they don't have, you know, a, a billion dollar endowment or whatever it is that like some of these other schools have to be able to do whatever. Right. And and like they also don't have um, the support from, you know, various different graduates that, you know, have gone on to be president mm -hmm. of the United States and all these other things um, to be able to to have those kinds of things. And so, you know, and I would say the 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 fix here donate some money sis you know i mean Go ultimately get some money yeah period all right yeah. all right now it's time for our dishonorable mentions these are the stories of people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or their stupid i am talking about all movies in mine um so i'll go first mm -hmm. um first up is Judas and the Black Messiah. If you haven't seen it yet, it is a fantastic film with Daniel Kaluuya and really a great cat, Lakeith Stanfield and a Dominic ton of Fishback. other fantastic actors and actresses and fantastic performances. It is very well shot. It's a fantastic film. Um, it is currently available HBO Max, yeah. right? On HBO Max right now. Um, I definitely feel like this is going to be one of the awards films of the year um and you should definitely go check it out um also just as a side note like they did a really cool like influencer event on zoom where they sent us like um they sent us like meal kits with like food from black restaurants and a cocktail that we built it was just a lot of fun and they did a fantastic job with like marketing this film as opposed and and also making the film um and so i shout out to all the people who have worked really hard to make that film hit in the middle of a pandemic um it's it, it's really really great and i hope that everybody sees it speaking of hbo max something else that you all should check out is a documentary series um uh called the lady and the dale um, on HBC, HBO Max, it is a really interesting story about this um, con woman who is also trans um, from the 60s, 70s, 80s time frame. Um, it's uh, directed, co-directed by Zachary Drucker, who is a legendary trans uh, uh, director who more, more, most pe more people need to know about. Director, multidisciplinary artist, all of the things. It just is really interesting to, one, unearth this bit of trans history and a 
bit of trans history that complicates, you know, these ideas we have about, you know, trans uh, images and media being of, you know, unassailable characters uh, because Ooh. she, she, you know, she conned people out of a lot of money. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting um, story. I believe it's a four-parter, all available on HBO Max. I need to check that out. I saw the name, but I didn't know what it was about. And I feel like a publicist has emailed me about it and I didn't read it. Um, okay. Second thing that I think people need to see is framing Britney Spears from the New York Times on Hulu. Now, go with me here because I am complicit and I want to be really clear about that. This documentary, did you watch? You watched it? Yes. Okay. I've not really given too many fucks about Britney Spears, just being completely honest. I mean, I enjoyed the music like everybody else did, but like I've never been that big on her specifically. Um, this documentary completely changed everything that I've thought about Britney Spears. And I thought that they did such a fantastic job of contextualizing her life. And I will say one of the things that I did not appreciate as you know, a teenager or college student um, in that age when she was at her height was that we were watching a person deteriorate right in front of us and we were all contributing to it. And so I think that Framing Britney Spears is a fantastic documentary um, that every person in our age range should be watching. Um, and, uh, and, and also it really, really unpacks like what conservatorship is. And she's been in conservatorship for a number of years and is trying to get out of it. Um, and I, th I would hope that if anything good can come out of uh, Britney Spears's really tragic story is that she can change the way that conservatorship, um, you know, kind of works and exists in our, in our culture. So, uh, framing Britney Spears is on Hulu. Go check it out. I want to give a shout out and honorable mention to this new podcast. It's a Spotify original. So if you listen to us on Spotify, you can go ahead and, you know, search this. If you listen to us some other way, you got to download Spotify because the podcast is just that good. It comes from Danielle Smith, legendary journalist, music journalist, hip hop journalist, former Vibes uh, uh, editor, former Billboard editor. Um, and it's called The Black Girl Songbook. Um, and it is basically a podcast of her giving black women in music their due the first episode we need to have her on the show she's she's fucking amazing she's a mentor in my head love her um she uh the first episode was on whitney houston's um iconic star spangled banner um and mm. so she interviewed a variety of people as it relates to that um and then her second episode is with uh uh the the legendary deborah cox um and so it's just it's just so good and danielle knows her shit so make sure you check that out um, on Spotify. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I we we got to get her on the show. We've we had her for our media summit uh, for NABJLA. She's fantastic, and I, I'm excited to just listen to her talk about anything. She's really great. Um, last documentary that I want to suggest to people, also over on HBO Max, is called "There's No I in Threesome." Uh, it is. I know, right? I saw the ad and I was like, I don't know what this is, but that name. But you I have clicked to look on at it. it. <laughs> but listen. Um, it, it, I don't want to say too much about it um, because I don't want to give anything away about what it's about, but it is about what I, what I will say about it is two things. Number one, it's about a couple who is engaged um, and they decide to have an open relationship until their wedding. Um, and mm -hmm. I will leave it there. Uh, listen, is it a documentary? Show, it is um, sort of. I'll just say that. How you doing? It's a documentary, <laughs> okay. sort of. Um, and I will also say to people that are going to watch this documentary, one, it is it's, it will, it is going to blow your mind, I promise, um, even if you don't think it will. But uh, the second thing I will say is do not read the description that HBO Max puts on the, on the uh, on on their app when you go to watch it. I think it says way too much about the documentary and kind of ruins the, the doc. Um, but it is... It is something that you've never seen before. Um, regardless of oh how my. you feel about open relationships and all that kind of stuff, I think you should watch it. So oh check out There's No I and Threesome on HBO Max. Last but not least, I just want to give a quick a quick mention to Hodrick Tall and Brandy. They did Why a... Why do you do this? Um, why, do, why do you do this? They did a video on Hodrick's page um, uh, in celebration... 
in celebration of the Cinderella, the Black Cinderella being available on Disney Plus. Um, I had a chance to screen it at a drive-in um, this weekend uh, over Valentine's Day. So cute, iconic movie. But Brandy re-recorded her her versions of the songs for this oh. ta- for this Hodrick Tall uh, video. And oh yes, she's she's just giving. Uh, Grown, grown Everything. Brandy is so much better than how younger Brandy was already an icon yes. and a legend. And so it's just like yeah. amazing to hear. So check that out on um, uh, YouTube. You can find that there. We, I think we have to do a fan tie on Todrick Hall. On Hodrick Tall? The fact that you won't even say their name is my point. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, yes, it's time for Black History is Happening Every Day. Black History is happening every day. Oh, this Jesus is, Christ, we have been talking forever been doing a lot. in this episode. We've been doing a lot. <laughs> uh, this week's moment, actually, uh, we're not going to set up. We're just going to let this beautiful moment in Black cinematic history soothe your soul. Your mama worked hard to keep that house in the family. For everyone. For you and your family. Oh, fuck the family! The family? I love the family in my house. You know what? The family fucked my husband. Yeah, Faith fucked my husband. Terry. What are you gonna say, huh? Terry. Terry what? Can we talk about what? Fuck you! (laughs) Listen, that is classic moment from the film Soul Food where Vanessa Williams loses her shit, and I love it. It. I just want to say, if you listen closely, after she says the family fucked my husband, there's a gasp. You know, there's an audible gasp. That's me (laughs) along in the corner. Uh, and like it's my Bird. favorite part of the whole clip. She's just like, <gasps> it's everything. It is. It is. Uh, me and my friends in college, we used to love a moment where can we talk about what? Like it's just, it's such a good moment. <laughs> Shout out to Vanessa Williams, the entire cast uh, of yes. Soul Food. Um, okay, Travel. Before we go, uh, you were on a podcast that you should tell people about. Yes, I want everyone to check out the podcast Gender Reveal. It is a podcast hosted by Tuck Woodstock, and it's all about trans shit okay um and i was on uh, the episode that's this week it came out on monday um so you all need to go check it out i think it could be a a good tool for those of you who are you know non-binary um and you know want to hear some conversation of that those of you who consider yourselves to be allies or wanting to understand more there's a little bit of there for that for you too and if you just want to hear some more of my excellence you know that is an opportunity to hear me you know unchained from from jared uh (laughs) wow wow okay all right honey and if this conversation piqued your interest and you want more of this good good you can check out another episode that we had a, a conversation that feels related. Uh, episode 30 was called My Brother's Keeper or Naw, featuring Seth Brundle and Dr. Charles H.F. Davis. Um, we ask that you give us a rating and a five-star, a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, and if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Fantai Podcast, or you can follow us on in- Instagram at the same place, Fantai Podcast. Use the hashtag Fantai Fam. And if you're looking for a place to put some of your disposable income, as I was discussing earlier, you can choose to become a member of the Fanti Fam and the Maximum Fund family at MaximumFun.org slash join. As always, you can hit us up via email at Fanti at MaximumFun.org. Music is by Corice. You can find him wherever you get your slave-worthy audio. That is C-O-R dot E-C-E. Our graphics and photos are by Ashley Wynn and Moon House Creative. Our producers are <clears throat> Jordan Kelly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Laura Swisher. <laughs> I wish I could see your face with these blue lips. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. You want to just do one instead of two? No. You were supposed to say yes to that. I know.